coming to the last full day. of our practice on this uh, particular Kuan Yin retreat. Noticing what what that perception brings up. Hooray! (laughs) (laughs) Or, oh God, I better... Where's my Huato? Just noticing what happens. But I'd like to encourage us to recognize the auspiciousness of the opportunity and the conducive nature of the opportunity that we have and to use this day well. Yes, the Dhamma is always here and now wherever we are. That's true. But it's a... the force of habit is, is very powerful. The floods, the outflows, we're getting swept up in, in unconscious and compulsive desire and aversion, view and entangled in views, scorched by all kinds of confusions. It's, it's difficult. And we, we have a accumulated virtue from this period together, from the power of us all uh, helping one another, living blamelessly, encouraging one another to, to turn the mind back from endless chasing to the, to the question of what is really happening now. We might think that we have, uh, don't have enough faith. You know, the, the ancients had this great, great faith. I'm just, you know, I just don't have enough faith. We have too much faith. Faith is misplaced. We have misplaced, too much misplaced faith. We can so unconsciously, habitually, believe our views and opinions. Believe our, all these designations. This is too hard, or this is too easy, or... I'm a hopeless case, or I don't need any help. Just believing all these thoughts, believing when there is a mood in consciousness that, that that's me, and that we're in that, that I'm depressed, and then there's a contraction, a contraction, and we become that depressed state, or that overwhelmed state, or that agitated state. We believe that. The, the Buddha, in the, I think it's in the Great Shrangama Sutra, I'm not positive, but I think. The Buddha said that's taking a thief to be our son. When, when we take these focuses of the grasping mind, take them into our heart through false assumption and take it to be the most cherished, essential, beloved me, 
It's like taking a thief to be our son. That's a, a dangerous situation. It's misplaced trust. It's not that we don't have it. We have trust. Misplaced trust. Then when we take a thief to be our son, our child, our beloved, then then as Master Wah points out, then the family jewels get robbed. We lose our treasure. This root, these two roots, remember, of the reason why we don't wake up to the essential brightness, peaceful, undying wisdom, compassion, nature, is this, this taking, this, this capacity to take these objects of the focusing mind to be me. One root, the second root, is not recognizing the true nature for what it really is. The Buddha also described this taking. We take form, our body, objects, possessions, feelings, that which pleases us, that which is agreeable, that which is exciting, taking that to be me. Or the ones that we don't want, taking it not to be, that's outside me, that's not allowed, over there. We draw this split, this line, this wall. Yet we do this with the best of intentions, there's a faith, there's a faith. That's the faith, we have the faith. But the faith that that's how I find well-being is by getting away from that and holding on, securing this me, mine. And the Buddha also gives a vivid image of that. He said that when we do that, it's like a yak being enamored with its tail. Isn't that interesting? Where does that go? (laughs) Just goes round and round. Enamored by the objects of the five senses conceptualized, concretized, made real, invested with faith, manifesting as the world, invested with faith through the conceptual process. When I first met Ajahn Chah, first meeting, I had read some books, but I was hoping, really hoping, because I was suffering even with my Rhodes Scholarship, even with Mom's scrapbook, she had every single award I've ever accomplished, five-time Mid-South champion, best wrestler in the last year, national invitational champion, Princeton, Phi Beta Kappa, Rhodes Scholar to open up. Yeah, 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 I'm doing okay, doing okay. Close the book. Uh, what? knocked by this, looking for that, disappointed by this. I drug myself to Thailand. I was 24, felt 104. 
but I had read the word enlightenment, so I thought there was hope. So I was hoping, because I'd read some books, I was hoping that Ajahn Chah would recognize my potential and, and tap me on the third eye. Because <laughs> oh. a Swami also told me, I had met a Swami too at Princeton, that I was going to go study the third eye at Oxford. Okay, it took a little while and I was going beyond Oxford, but maybe this would be the occasion and Ajahn Chah would tap me. And so he didn't tap me on the eyes, on the, but he did ask me some questions. He says, why have you come? And I muttered something about needing balance. I was out of balance. Asked me if I knew how to meditate, and I was sort of saying stuff about that. And then he says, you know, so, so you want to... And, and so I wanted to get... I didn't actually say I wanted to get enlightened, I don't think. But that's what I wanted, but I thought that'd be a little gross to come right out <laughs> and actually say it. But uh, uh, I did think that if, if I had had such a good experience on a 10-day retreat, there's three 10-day periods in a month, 12 months in a year, one year, two year max, I should blow the lid off this thing. That was the, that was the way I really did think. I really did think that way. And so then, so Ajahn Chah, I was going to get balanced, and then Ajahn Chah said, well, then what are you going to do? I'll go back and finish my thesis at Oxford on art, science, and mysticism and the works of Aldous Huxley. I probably didn't tell him the title. Uh, then what are you going to do? I'll go, go and be a, a doctor back in America. Then what are you going to do? Well, I probably might get married or something like that. Then what are you going to do? And then he picked up the spittoon where he had spits this beetle at. He picked up this platoon, and while he's asking me the question, he's just kind of going round and round and round. Then what are you going to do? Then what are you going to do? Then what are you going to do? And it seems like that this this journey that we're really getting somewhere. Maybe even that yak enamored with its tail might think that it's actually getting somewhere. Or an ant that's walking on the top of a rim of a bowl that's on a long journey. Whoa, I've really been a long way. Must be getting close. I do smell some food somewhere. I think I'm getting closer. Actually going around and around. The Buddha says when we take, when we take, <clears throat> when we're looking for certainty, looking for completion, looking for happiness, looking for home, And it really seems like we're, we're getting there. That actually, we don't. We just go round and round. We, we, we get to the nice feeling. Yes! That's called birth. And it becomes otherwise. Oh, well, then seeking, oh, I'm getting there. Yes! Then it becomes otherwise. Once Neem Karoli Baba, I might not have this story absolutely correctly, but the, in Ramdas's book, Miracle of Love, the, they describe how a story where once uh, Maharaji spent hours, he was just uh, hours muttering, 
too much, too much, too little, too little, too much, too little, too much, too little, too much, too little, too little, too little, too much, too little, too much, too little, too much, too much, too much, too much, too little, too little, too little, too little, too much, too little, too much, too little, and they just thought, oh God, our guru's gone crazy. What's happened to him? Too much, too little, too much, too little, too much, too much, too much, too much, too little. Maharaji, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm just, I'm just chanting what everybody's doing. That's what, <laughs> that's what everybody's doing all the time. Everybody. And, and can, we, can we notice that? When we're, when we're, no, that's, the chanting's too fast, or oh, the chanting's too slow, or the chanting's too low. Or too, come on, lift that baby up. Lift, <laughs> lift, you can do it, lift. Chanting's too high. <laughs> oh God, the chanting just, oh, but here they come, keep them out. I'm always trying to get it right. And then when we do get it right, free, trying to freeze it. And then it's, it's too, it does last too short, too little, too little, too much. Where's the key? The, this whole process that we're talking about, being enamored with the tale, this thinking we're on this journey and going round and round, too much, too little. The, the, the Buddha described it, yes, he called it delusion, but he gave another word for it. You know, he called it papancha. Papancha. And it can be translated as conceptual proliferation. Conceptual proliferation. It's about, and so on one level, in a popular sense, it means if somebody's just talking too much, they're talking, 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 talking. Boy, they have verbal diarrhea. They just never stop, like that guy up there on that seat. It just goes on and on and on. That's one definition of, of, you know, when one thought leads to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, and it just explodes into the 84,000 things. But actually, even if you're not talking, the essence of papancha is, is that is mark-making. Mark-making. And it's not just mark-making. Mark or measuring or splitting or designating or discriminating and it's not just the making of the mark that's the problem, but it's when the mark is tinged with the sense that, yes, this is real, this is true. It's that faith again, having faith in our marks, faith in our designations, faith in our views, our opinions. Mine. I like it. It's good. Bad. Powerful marks. Because the power, when, when those uh, marks, then those marks give, when we believe them, they give rise to the action of becoming, of grasping, of rejecting, of seeking, of fleeing. So actually the most significant mark of all, which might not look like papancha, might not look like verbal diarrhea, but even that tiny little mark, I, very powerful mark, 
when it's not recognized for what it is, a, a mark that comes and goes. When it's un, when that one tiny little mark is not recognized for what it is, the mark of I, then you get the mark of you. Then you get the mark of it. It's a thing. Yes, it. Yeah, there it is. That little unconscious mark then leads to time, because when it's becoming otherwise, how do you explain for that? Oh, well, it's growing. It's dying. Time then has to, you have to, to account for why these things, which are real, are changing, then we've got to bring time in. You can make one little mark and you suddenly get lots of complications. So some people translate it as uh, elaborations or complications. But I think it's the tendency to make marks and have faith in them as expressions of reality. It's called pepuncha. When this isn't understand, get, get how important this is to the Buddha. It's important. I love the polylist just for the sound of it. Yo papancha maniyuto papancha birato mago. Viradayi so nibbanang yoga kemang anutarang. Yo cha papanchang hitvana nipapancha paterato. Aradayi so nibbanang yoga kemang anutarang. The fool who indulges in and delights in papancha is far removed from Nibbana, the incomparable freedom from bondage. But the one who has given up papancha and delights in the path to non-proliferation, to non-papancha, what's called nipapancha, the one who delights in the path to non-proliferation attains Nibbana, the incomparable freedom from bondage. It's that important. And, and the key, the key is right here in this present moment, right at the place of contact. Right at the place of contact. Right at the place of seeing. Right at the place of hearing. Right at the place of feeling, smelling, tasting. Right at the place of conception. When there's an image or a thought forming in the mind. How easy it is to quickly take that and then... Actually, papuncha is like a shorthand. It's quite deceptive because there's all kind of stuff coming in and then we, we say, oh, there's the eland walking back from, with Jack, having been a bit stunned because I saw another strong mark. I was walking with Jack and he went into the forest and then there was a dead jackal buzzard. And it reminded me of our friend. Is that our friend? 
It seemed warm, but just like in a hole. Did someone kill you? But I didn't see a bullet. Haven't heard any shots. What happened? It is. Oh, maybe it looks a little shorter than our friend, but you know, he's up on the pony, he's kind of puffed out and isn't, is, isn't. Saying some mantras for him. Jack sniffed Tim, her. But actually, at the moment of contact, there's cascading. Notice how quickly we maybe can't bear the vibrancy, the vitality. The who knows what, in terms of how Ian very skillfully has been expressing around what goes on in this moment. But we can quickly disconnect from the vitality, the uncertain vitality of it. And oh yeah, my friend, not my friend, my friend, not my friend. Jackal buzzer, dead, not dead. Jumping up and down, trying to make sense, trying to put into a box And actually, concepts are all right when we notice them as concept, but then when we, when we grasp at them so quickly, the eel in the sacred mountain, sacred animal of the Bushman, if we're not careful, we can get so excited in splitting the world. That's where the action is, up there. Or it's going to be a good day, because the eelin have come. Or maybe that already is the blessing for the day that they've come. Maybe it's going to be downhill from here. (laughs) (laughs) But notice, then we're not connected anymore to the suchness. When we don't see that mark, the point of contact, very important point. And a very helpful thing is that that's why when, when the mind has faith so quickly in our perception, it's good, it's this, it's that. Ajahn Chah had a wonderful Huateau. He didn't call it a Huateau. He didn't have the, the language word head. <clears throat> but that's what it was when Ajahn Chah said, my ne. My in time means not ne, certain, not certain. It's a beautiful Huateau. When the mind's clamping down on, yeah, it's that. It's my name. And, and that's, that's a very, can be a very, it's fierce if we're really caught up in something heavy, but it's, it, it's, it's not, it's just meant to help us look again. It's encouraging doubt. Actually, in this particular practice, doubt is not our enemy. Doubt is a friend. Not the paralyzing doubt where one is just compulsively thinking, looking for an answer, looking for an answer, looking for an answer. No, give me the answer. Tell me who am I. Give me the answer. He'll know. No. Men, patriarchal, she'll know. (laughs) That's a different kind of doubt. That's the obstruction. But the doubt that's helpful is the doubt that helps break up this misplaced faith in all our designations, all our views, all our opinions. This is hugely insignificant. And it leads to, to missing the vibrancy of the moment of contact and taking a thief to be our son. Taking these views, these opinions, these designations. And then we take our stand on them. That's birth. 
then when they change, we've ensured death, old age death. Mike Nair just encourages of, it's not what you think it is. Notice how that, that encourages the, the mind to look freshly, freshly, rather than streaming out in our dittasava, the, the flood of just our view. Streaming out, being guided by... These streams also are expressions of papancha. They are aspects of vipancha, papancha. Papancha starts as a mark that's invested with, tinged with, with delusion. And, 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 and the, you know, so that expresses itself then in terms of craving, in terms of aversion, in terms of conceit, in terms of views. So my nah is an example of just, yes, that's another thought. So a thought can be helpful. It's not that thoughts are evil, but it's just not certain. We look again, not certain. And then rather than it being, the, the heart goes back, and rather than collapsing itself into that condition, splitting ourselves from our true treasure, from the heart itself, my nah is a thought that's there and gone. But it, it allows a doubt, a helpful doubt, an inquiry, a hmm, a looking again at this irritation that's telling us what we have to do, and rather than it being me, my nah. What are you trying to kill me? I can't stand. We've got to do something about this. My nah. Then it becomes dhamma, becomes a guest, becomes dust, becomes such. In that moment, then the tile has been dropped. It starts to sink. Ten thousand Changs is almost twenty miles. <laughs> but even a moment, even ten feet of sinking is something. Getting a sense of the immeasurability of the depth of our vastness, our measurelessness. But there's such a tendency to, uh, and then grab that tile. Uh, we don't want to lose that tile. It's a, it's, a, it's a roof tile. It's keeping the rain off of me. Not ready to let that house fall down yet. But it's a star. My net, or who? Who? The moment of contact, it's important to let the who or the mine or what or the let go, whatever huato is. Remember the huato, it, it it's like in the Mission Impossible films. This tape will self-destruct and whatever it does. It destructs to reveal the heart itself. Let the, listen to the thought dissolve leaving behind the, the skillful doubt, the skillful, hmm, the skillful looking freshly, not making assumptions. Let the thought of my nah, not certain, or who, noticing that thought die, that thought dissolve, Allowing ourselves to sense the space after the thought.
gap, what our teacher called the gap. Thoughts are like lightning flashes. Their actuality, when we're at the point of conduct of a thought, it's like a bubble. So we need to also think consciously, not so much for a solution. That's how we normally think, thinking we're getting somewhere. Yes, I'm going to just give me a, give me a little time. I'm getting there. Uh, this thought and this thought, I'm getting closer to the answer. That's like that ant going around and round and round and round. This is thinking not for an answer, but thinking consciously for the sake of noticing the truth of thinking. Noticing where thinking comes from, the huato, the head of the thought, <coughs> the moment before the thought's there. And then what does that thought dissolve into? What surrounds every thought? What's beneath every thought? 20 miles of immeasurability. Measureless. So even an ordinary thought, we learn with simple things like my name is, the sky is blue. Get a sense of hearing the mark. The mark come, the mark go. Does it really mark the mind? The sky is blue. Like a bird flying through. It's there, it's gone. Sky is blue. And we can start to see that too much, too little, too much, too little are also marks. Can we paint pictures on the sky? Why can't we paint pictures on the sky? Because there's no ground. Can't paint pictures on the sky. It won't stick to anything. When the Buddha described, when we start to see our mark-making is actually bubble-like and actually empty, then when the unconscious proliferation of thought starts to be naturally stopped, slowed, then consciousness reverts from its split, vijnana, divisive knowing, it reverts to a purity. What's always been there, but it starts to recognize itself. And the Buddha called that, it's also consciousness, but he called it anudasana vinyana. A consciousness that doesn't create anything. It doesn't imagine it can paint pictures in the sky because it knows everything's vast and, and empty. There's still marks, but the marks are empty. They're there, they're gone, like lightning flashes, like bubbles. No walls. This, this image, we've, we've, we've used the image of the sky a few times, and one of my favorite from the Dhammapada verses of, that the Buddha gives the, the 
to this question, and again talking about the importance of papancha, is akase padang nati samano nati bahi re papancha birata pajani papancha tatagata. Akase, that means space, fast sky. Padang nati, there are no footprints in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. Bahire, outside. Papancha biratapacha. Worldly people delight in papancha. Worldly people just delight in to this, to that, to this, to that. Just the elaborations. Nothing wrong with elaborations, but when the elaborations aren't empty, it's birth and death, because what we take shifts. Papanchabira tapacha, the, the worldly, the masses, the worldly beings delight in papancha. Nipa papancha tatagata. The tatagata, the Buddha, delights in the end of that. Nipa pancha. Stops that. No footprints in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. The world delights in making marks, delights in papancha. The thus come one delights in the ending of that. Then it repeats. Akase padangnati samanonati baharei. The sky has no footprints. You won't find the sage out there. And then the next line, sankarasa satanati. There are no Eternal conditions, eternal fabrications. There are no eternal sankharas. No matter what you build, it's not eternal. Sankara sasatanati. Nati means not. And this last line is, to me, it all knocks me over. Nati buddhanang. I mean, in the Pali, there's one more word, but in the Pali, that's a bit shocking because. Nati means no, Bhutanang, no Buddha. I'm thinking, where's this heading? Nati Bhutanang Injitang. And it says, Buddhas never waver. Buddhas never waver. There are no permanent condition things. So where does wavering come from? Through Papansa, when we take something to be Real, it, me, mine, a feeling, a thought. We then take our stand. And that's our footprint. We take our stand on it. That's me, that's mine, that's our footprint. This body, this strength, this intelligent, this affliction, that's my footprint. I'm afflicted. Nobody loves me. It's true. Nobody. That's my footprint. We all have these special footprints. But then when we take our stand on a certain footprint, then that's wavering because what we've taken our stand on shifts. There are no footprints really in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. There are no compounded things, nothing that comes together like a body, a feeling, a mood, a perception, a thought, a moment of knowing. There are no eternal compounded things. 
Buddhas never waver. Because when there's recognition of that as dust, as a guest, as such, then the heart recognizes again its sky-like, measureless, vast, immeasurable ground. When the tile drops 20 miles, when it keeps going through layers of tendency to grasp this, reject that, at some point it, when it hits ground, that's an image for the, you know, the true, the real. But the real is associated with measurelessness. So encouraging us to not to be afraid of the point of contact. And when the mind spins off into the eel and to the jackal buzzard, we can still appreciate it, but try my nair or what? What is it? It's the sacred animal, the Bushman, and, and it's associated with it. What's that God that begins with the K, the Bushman? What? Just listening to the thoughts come and go, come and go. What is it? Then look fresh. Or my nay. Who's excited? Let that thought ooh, dissolve back into a, a gentle but persistent hmm. Not too quickly jumping to an answer because the tendency to jump to an answer is based on papancha. Who? And any thoughts about who am I? I'm getting there. I've, well, maybe next retreat. Whatever the thoughts are, let them be just as they are. Because every condition, every single condition is. Is like that bird flying through the sky. It's there, it's gone, like a bubble, like a lightning flash. Every condition has at its core truth, freedom, boundarylessness. Vimuttisarasa Vedama. All dhammas, all conditions, the Buddha said, their essence is vimutti, free from boundary, like the sky, wide. Don't let it get too complicated. It's okay to see. It's not a question of closing our eyes, closing our ears, closing our nose, closing, not eating, not tasting. It's encouraging, bestowing courage, encouraging ourselves to 
to allow ourselves to feel the moment of contact. And when we jump to the conclusions to keep bringing the mind back to the suchness with the with the huato, with the look again, what is it? Let it be, whatever the huato is, that we notice that thought come and then go. It's important to see the huato dissolve as do all conditions. Then in that moment, leading us back to that place, to the heart itself, to that which is. then all marks start to dissolve, revealing their empty nature. And all apparent things aren't things anymore. Finishing with a short reading on this theme. One monk, famous story in the scriptures, in the Udana section of the scriptures, a, a wandering mendicant. He wasn't a monk. He never got to ordain, but he, his name was Bahia, and he came to the Buddha when he was on alms round, saying, Lord, I... You know, you know the truth, please teach me. And the Buddha said, it's not the right time, I'm on alms round. And he said, life is short. You never know when. Life is short. Please teach me. You never know when the end's coming. He asked three times, and the Buddha said, well, you've asked three times, I cannot refuse. The Buddha gave him this instruction. When a Tathagata is pressed three times, he has to answer, listen carefully, Bahia, and attend to what I say. In the scene, let there only be the scene. In the herd, there is only the herd. In the sensed, there is only the sensed. In the cognized, there is only the cognized. That means the perceptions, the thoughts. Let them just be as they are. Thus you should see that indeed there is no thing here. This, Bahia, is how you should train yourself. Since, Bahia, there is for you in the scene only the scene. In the herd, only the herd. In the sensed, only the sensed in the cognized, only the cognized, and you see that there is no thing here. There's no things. You will therefore see that indeed there is no thing there. You will see that you are therefore located neither in the world of this nor in the world of that, nor in any place betwixt the two. This alone is the end of suffering.
the heel was sharp. He got it. He saw his complicating mind and just let the seeing, the hearing, the sensing, the thinking be just as is is. Moments later, he was killed by a runaway cow. So, life is uncertain, but he was posthumously awarded the title of the disciple who understood the teaching most quickly. Because when the monks pressed the Buddha about it, the Buddha said that he had been enlightened. And, and the, Buddha, the Buddha gave this lovely ecstatic utterance about Bahia's wonderful accomplishment, uh, about the true nature. This is the ecstatic utterance that the Buddha gave about Bahia waking up. There where earth, water, fire and wind no footing find. There are the stars not bright, nor is the sun resplendent. No moon shines there, there is no darkness seen. And then when he, the Arahant, the Awakened One, has in his wisdom seen, from well and ill, from form and formless, is he freed. Sitting for a few minutes. <laughs> 